Welcome to another episode of Mork's Chat Sports. Uh, today's guest is a, a great ambassador of Zimbabwe. He's represented his country proudly on the tennis court. He's a regular member of the men's ITF circuit and more recently the ATP Challengers circuit. He's also a crucial part of Zimbabwe's Davis Cup team where he plays alongside brother Courtney. I'd like to welcome Benjamin Locke. Benji, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's a, <laughs> it's a good intro. No worries. Whereabouts are you at the moment and what are you up to? I'm back home in Harare. Uh, just came to see some family. Had a couple of meetings as well. You know, kind of end of year business and planning for the 2021 season. And then training every single day as well. Not so much tennis, but more uh, fitness. It's the off season. So this is kind of the time where, you, you know, most of the players really build their bodies up uh, to last for the whole year. Because, I mean, when we travel, it's very difficult to do, you know, intense fitness workouts. So, yeah, trying to use this time wisely and um, be in the best shape that I can. Lovely. Okay, so we'll, we'll get to what you've been up to this past year a little bit later on. But I'm going to take you right back to your formative tennis years back in Zimbabwe or in Zimbabwe. Can you remember when you sort of first picked up a racket? And, and can you tell us a little bit about growing up in Zim, playing tennis and how it all started for you? Oh, well, you know, I can't actually remember the first time, but my parents told me, yeah, I think it was a couple of months I was picking up the plastic. They gave me <laughs> a plastic racket with these small little tennis balls. And obviously, you know, I come from a tennis family, so it wasn't something completely foreign. And I would say, yeah, I was introduced to tennis at such a young age, but I really found the passion for it at about 10 years old, I would say. Um, you know, I loved playing all, all the other sports as well. And um, I think when I was 10 was where I really, I played my first tournament and um, yeah, I just loved the competition and the environment. That's where I think I took it a little bit more serious and uh, started putting some effort into it. We were chatting a little bit about what your sort of early tennis education was like. You then moved to South Africa, to Pretoria, and then on to the United States where you attended Florida State University. What did that sort of period in your life teach you? And can you sort of walk us through the transition from moving to South Africa and then obviously into college tennis and ultimately professional tennis? Yeah, I would say, you know, that when I was 12 years old, there was an under 13 uh, Southern African championship. It's played in Botswana and uh, I ended up winning singles and doubles that week. So I got a scholarship to an the uh, ITF Junior Academy in South Africa. And yeah, so it was a huge opportunity, took it and left home when I was about 12 or 13. Worked my way up the junior world rankings and playing in the junior Grand Slams, had a lot of college coaches watching me play and went over with my parents to visit some of the schools. Yeah, we really loved Florida State University. It was a great athletic school and they had a very good business program which I was very interested at the time as well and um, you know my parents have always been so supportive of my tennis and you know would do anything for my tennis but the number one thing for them was that I got a a degree and um, education was huge for them so college tennis in the states is amazing I mean you play matches on Fridays and Sundays in front of packed stadiums 
against such you know high level players and um, everything there is designed well at least at Florida State University everything was designed uh, to kind of transition you into a professional so I had amazing coaches at college who really pushed me and um, that was great at the same time I got to study finance and I fell in love with that as well um, but obviously tennis is my ultimate passion so it was an easy decision to turn pro uh, it was this uh, yeah the European summer of 2016 so it was about July uh, turned professional that was kind of the route I took I'd always I'd always wanted to play pro and when I was in college I finished the college season ranked nine in the NCAA rankings so you know, it was such a good indication to see the level that I was playing at. So, yeah, definitely was really happy with the decision to uh, play professionally. And that sort of led you kind of to where you are now. So you now play on the ITF circuit, which is the International Tennis Federation, also known as the Futures, and more recently the ATP Challenger Tour in both singles and doubles tournaments. Can you, for our listeners, sort of, Tell us a little bit more about the ITF, the Challenger, and, and how they are all sort of linked to the ATP circuits. Yeah, so I would say it's a kind of a tier system similar to golf. The ITF Futures Tournament, basically most of the time is players ranked from 500 up to probably about four or 5,000. As far as the rankings go, There's, I think there's all at one time, 12,000 male professional players trying to play full-time. It's, it's quite difficult to move up. You really have to dominate the ITF uh, circuit. I think your winning percentage is around 75 or 80% to crack inside the top 500. So it's, um, yeah, it's the battleground. It's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of talented players out there, all ages from different parts of the world. And... That kind of is the feeder system into the ATP Tour, which is the tour you, that obviously you see on TV at you know Federer and Nadal and Djokovic are playing on. And within the ATP Tour, the lower level tournaments are the Challenger Tour circuit. So once you're on the Challenger Tour, you have many opportunities to play in ATP tournaments uh, on the World Tour. So I think yeah, a lot of players don't get to break into the Challenger Tour. And so, yeah, it's the equivalent of probably getting your tour card, I would say, on golf. It's not easy to do. And, yeah, once you get there, you still have to do quite a bit to get to the, the ATP World Tour. So, yeah, it's a, it's a process, but, uh, yeah, it's what it takes. Eh? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to break down sort of your, your career now. We'll chat about your singles career firstly. So in your singles career thus far, You've won seven ITF Futures titles. As of November this year, you were ranked as the eighth best African men's singles player, Kevin Anderson being number one. In terms of ranking, you broke into the men's top 400, uh, 391st to be precise, in December 2018. Can you talk us through your singles career and like me, I would also sort of need to, I guess, understand the sort of dynamics between singles and doubles in terms of training, the mental side of it, your preparation. Can you just talk us through yeah. sort of the titles you've won and, and your singles career thus far? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm very happy with the titles that I've won. I've lost quite a few finals as well, um, which is yeah, always, uh, always tough to swallow, but uh, it's part of it. 
Yeah, the ITF Futures Tour is, is really deceptive because you have a lot of players who are breaking through. And, you know, two months ago, they may be playing in on the ITF Tour and then all of a sudden, you see them with a shock, you know, win at a Grand Slam and they beat a top 100 player. And, you know, so I think that for me, the level on the Challenger Tour and the Futures Tour is, is pretty similar. But... Obviously, you're playing players with more experience, you know, more professional, I would say. They, they're very focused and, um, you know, they know how to handle the pressure situations uh, a lot better, I would say. And, you know, for me personally, I've beaten, you know, quite a few players inside the top 200. I had a top 100 win in Davis Cup. And, you know, I think it's all about having opportunities. And when the opportunities come, it's about, you know, taking that opportunity and really making a run. Because it really only takes one tournament at the ATP Challenger Tour. And, you know, to play in the qualifying of the Grand Slam, you need to be ranked 240. And if you're ranked 400 in the world, if you win one Challenger tournament, you're pretty much there. You know, so it really can happen over a week or a couple good weeks as well. It's, uh, it's not easy, obviously. It's, uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> but, yeah, very realistic as well. And once you are used to playing on the, the Challenger Tour and you get used to you know, all the players that you play against because it's a, it's a small group. It's about players ranked from 100 to 450. And you know everyone. And I feel once you play a full schedule there and you get used to the environment... No, it's, it's a really good um, opportunity for you to, to break through. It's been done many times, and I think it's just about having as many opportunities as possible. Okay, so in your singles career, you've, you've taken part in futures tournaments scattered all over, pretty much. You've won titles in Zimbabwe, Mozambique, uh, South Africa. You've competed in, in Turkey, El Salvador, sort of all over, really, so... I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about your doubles career now, Benji. You ranked 175 in doubles in the world, and you're ranked third on the African continent. Your brother, Courtney, is, is ranked seventh. So yeah. you've won 25 Futures titles thus far. And this February, on the ATP Challenger Tour, you won your first title at the Launceston International in Australia. Please, can you tell us what it was like winning loads of future titles and then the path that led you to your first challenger title? Yeah, I had uh, a lot of success early on. I think I was, I was still in college when I won my first professional doubles title. So, you know, doubles and singles is a completely different game. And it does help to be six foot seven in doubles, not going to lie. <laughs> um, and uh, I've had some pretty good partners as well. And I think that's a huge thing. I've been able to play with partners for about, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks, not just one week and always chopping and changing. So I think that's the key. And yeah, I had a lot of success. And actually, in 2019, I was ranked number one in the world on the ITF Futures Tour for doubles, which gave me automatic entry into many ATP Challenger tournaments. And yeah, I used, I used that ranking and before the win that we had in Australia, uh, I'd lost two finals in challenger tournaments before, both of them in third set super tiebreakers. After, you know, winning both, both the time we won the first set 
and we ended up losing a heartbreaker. So in the final in Australia, I think the biggest thing was I was so relaxed. I'd been there two times before. I knew exactly the feeling, I, you know, what to expect, how the opponents are going to be feeling as well. And I think the first two attempts, I was a little bit flustered. I was so focused on getting the job done instead of taking a point by point, as cliche as that sounds. But I think, yeah, if there's anything I can say in that final in Australia, we played two very good players, but I was so relaxed the entire match. You know, that really showed in the last couple of points. We were down 8-5 in the super tiebreaker, and uh, I think we reeled off three or four winners in a row. You know, which is pretty tough to do in those pressure moments. And uh, I was ready. I felt I was ready to get that monkey off your back, get your first ATP Challenger Tour title. I was, I was obviously thrilled and just sad that I couldn't play a lot this year after that. Um, things shut down pretty fast, so it was tough. But um, yeah, I had a fantastic time in Australia. And um, yeah, I was really thrilled to win that title. Like you've just said, imagine what could have happened this year if coronavirus wasn't around. You would have come off the back of a, a victory and your momentum could have taken you. You could have ridden that wave. You know, it's a confidence and momentum. It's a funny thing. You can, you can get it out of nowhere. Just one week is all it takes, but then you can, you know, you can lose it so fast as well. So it, no, I'm sure I'm sure we'll be back there soon. So I'm sure you will. And I, I wanted to chat, Benji, about your... Your partners that you've had. So you mentioned the consistency of sort of sticking with one partner over a period of time. You've also played with your brother. How does it work? Do you sort of like spending time with your partner off the court? Do you like keeping it fairly professional? Does it help to get to know them as a person kind of thing? Or do you not really break it down too specifically? Do you just sort of learn and, and you know, the more you play with them, the better you guys form and understanding great question yeah i've been on both sides I, i'd say you know both extremities yeah i've, I've played I've, i played one tournament in turkey with a player from korea couldn't speak a word of english oh wow not one and um he was meant to play with someone who pulled out of the tournament my partner got injured so at the sign-in we found each other obviously he was a good player uh, we had both had good rankings, so we, we teamed up, but literally could not say a word to him that he would understand. Um, wow. But we had, a, we had a great week, and we ended up making the finals, but it was, it was weird. Didn't say a word the entire match to each other, nothing off court. His coach didn't speak any English as well, so it was kind of bizarre, to be honest with you. I don't know how we made the finals, but we did. And then, obviously, I've played with, you know, some of my best friends and even closer than that, my brother, who you know every single detail, you know exactly what they're feeling at certain moments in the match, you know exactly what to say to them that will pump them up or inspire them or, you know, if they, you know, if I make a bad mistake, they know what to say to me. And so I think obviously you'd prefer to be on that side of everything. I think knowing your partner, not just his game, I think his character and having a good relationship is great because it's all great when you, you're winning and everyone's playing well, but it's, I think the most important time is when your partner or yourself are not, are not playing great and it's the other person's job 
or your job to pick them up and try and help them play their best tennis. And that can get you through very difficult matches. And then, you know, that can lead to you winning tournaments. So, you know, I've, I prefer to play with good friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously my you know, favorite partner is to play with uh, my brother. We've had, I've had my best wins on ranking-wise with him. And, um, yeah, last year they had the ITF rankings, the world rankings. You know, he was, I was number one. He was ranked five in the world as well. So, yeah, we played a bunch of challenges together and we had some really, really good wins. So, yeah, I would say for me it's super important to know my partner. I've also played with players who have good rankings, um, better rankings than mine, but I don't know them and it's been a disaster. And then I've played with players who have, you know, worse rankings and I know them really well and we've done well. So, I think, you know, that says a lot. Yeah, that is a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. There's no sort of uh, winning formula. There isn't. I'd say that for me, the number one thing is even if you don't get on well with your partner, but you like the way they play, I think the biggest thing is to stick together because to play two, three weeks is not, is not really great. You need to play kind of a whole calendar year, 35 tournaments, and then you'll really see the partnership grow and develop. So I think that's super important in doubles. Okay. Benji, I'm going to I'm going to sort of give us all a bit of a history lesson. I did some reading up here. I want to talk a little bit about the the Davis Cup which you and your brother and several other Zimbabwean tennis players are all pulling in the right direction from the sounds of things and going onwards and upwards. But I'm going to take you back to 1998. Zimbabwe played in the World Group of the Davis Cup for the first time. The Black Brothers, Kevin Elliott, at the peak of their powers and in 98 they competed in the world group for three years in 98 99 and 2000 in 98 they beat australia who who had former world number one patrick rafter in 99 zimbabwe lost to lost to finalists australia again with patrick rafter as well as mark philippousis in their ranks and in 2000 this is incredible Zimbabwe hosted the USA in round one with John McEnroe as non-playing captain, boasting the likes of uh, world number one Andre Agassi. And Zimbabwe just lost that one 3-2. That is, that is spectacular. So we've had the Black Brothers, and now we're very lucky to have the Locke Brothers. Your record is an impressive 33-12, singles 22-7, doubles 11-5, what can you tell us about the current Zimbabwe Davis Cup team and where we are in terms of uh, the competition at the moment? Well, um, those years you're talking about in that team, you know, from 1998 and even up into the early 2000s, just incredible players, absolute legends uh, for our country. Uh, I mean, just like Grand Slam winners, you know, they all of them were Olympians. I mean, just incredible. To have those guys, you know, kind of leading the way for Zimbabwe was yeah, an absolute privilege. And actually, Courtney and I have, are now working um, with Kevin Elliott as our coach. Oh, wow. Um, so he's, he's based in South Africa. We've been, I've been working with him for the past three months now. And uh, we're going to continue to work together for 2021. I have a coach here in Zimbabwe as well. Uh, Freeman Yamakuro and he will obviously be my coach when I'm back in Zim but um, training in South Africa I'll be working with Kevin but yeah I spoke to Kevin about those days and he just said that all three of them were just playing their best tennis and 
Yeah, history lesson as well. The Davis Cup tie yes, against please. Australia that uh, they won. They won 3-2, I think. The Australians saw the draw and they put it, the venue to be strategic on grass, which they do to most uh, visiting nations. What they didn't know is that Byron and Wayne Black had six grass courts at their house and grew up <laughs> grew up playing on grass. That's so amazing. These guys were just, I mean, they thought they were sitting in ambush, but I mean, they were completely caught off guard because Byron and Wayne just came out firing and I mean, yeah, we're playing unbelievable grass court tennis. And so it was a huge shock, I think, to the Aussies. And what they did in Davis Cup uh, and their personal careers is just incredible. You know, speaking for my brother and myself, we, we look up to them. Um, they're, what they've done is what we dream about doing. And, you know, we're not trying to, you know, emulate them at all. I mean, we're, we're making our own our own path. But obviously what they've done is such a, a huge inspiration that, you know, it, it can be done. So for our Davis Cup team, we had to work our way up because I think the years after Byron, Wayne and Kevin left, the team struggled and we dropped so far down in the Davis Cup groups. And I made my debut at 16. And I remember we were in the bottom group and we worked our way all the way up. And uh, it's not easy. And the squad grew. My brother was growing in his game as well. And now... You know, we're in a position to go to Group 1. We're playing against China, which is scheduled in March, wow. to qualify for Group 1, which is one group below the World Group. So if we can win that match against China, and we're playing at home, so we have great chances, yeah, I think it would be incredible because when I joined the team, we were literally at the bottom, and this team and squad of players has really grown, and we've all contributed together, and now we have a chance to... Know, get to uh, group one so we were super excited and you know, davis cup is different to the atp tour there are no rankings involved and the pressure you cannot compare it and obviously you're playing for your country so yeah it's my favorite week of the year i've had some good success and i hope to continue winning many more davis cup ties perfect benjamin and we're grateful that you know zimbabwe have that that tasty tie against China, and hopefully we can get some tennis back. But if you've been a mainstay in the side, we're really grateful for that. I just wanted to ask on that note, what are some of the fondest memories you've had competing for Zimbabwe? Yeah, quite a few. I would say, you know, we've had some really good team wins in Davis Cup. For me personally, I would say, you know, there's two, two memories that come to mind. One was last year, we played against Romania away uh, in a huge indoor stadium, completely full with thousands and thousands of Romanians. There was not one Zimbabwean supporter in the crowd. And uh, on day one, I played against the number one from Romania. He was ranked 70 in the world. That was in February. In November, he you know, made a final of the Basel Open in Switzerland, beating Alexander Zverev and lost to Federer in a tight match in the final, So, which is in an indoor court. So obviously they were playing to his favorite surface um, in his hometown. And uh, yeah, I ended up playing the match of my life and won against him in straight sets, which was a massive confidence booster for me. And so that was extremely special because I remember 
especially the last three games, the the pressure that was building up. You know, I had the match in my hands, but against a great player like him, you know, he's not going to give you anything. And so you really have to finish the match off on your terms. And yeah, I just remember sitting on the changeover, you know, getting up to serve out for the match at 5-4. And I knew I was going to be nervous and you know, everything's kind of a blur. And then, yeah, just found myself at match point, had a short backhand, crushed it, and he missed the next ball. And, yeah, it's been the best win of my career. And I'd say that's been say, the second best memory and tennis experience I've ever had. Yeah, it was a phenomenal performance from me, and I was just so so happy to, to win in that fashion. And then I'd say the ultimate tennis experience, and it happened in Davis Cup, but still it's the best a moment of um, my career. I was in Georgia playing in the Davis Cup, playing in doubles uh, with my brother against uh, the number one player from Georgia. He was ranked uh, 30 in the world in singles, and he had a pretty good partner as well. And it was best of five sets back then. And we were playing in 40-degree heat in Georgia, a pretty ruthless crowd, clapping, you know, putting us off during the point. And we were down two sets to love, and we saved seven match points. Jeez. And the total match was about four hours long, if I remember correctly. And we ended up winning 6-4 in the fifth set. Wow. And I remember my brother had just turned 19, and he had to serve out the match um, at 5-4 in the fifth uh, in front of this massive crowd, you know, and where everyone is exhausted. I mean, it's just unbelievably hot. And, uh, yeah, we got it done. So it was just, by far, that is the most yeah, special memory I've had. It's a pity they changed the format in Davis Cup after that year to best of three sets. So potentially in Davis Cup, unless they change the rules, that could be the last time we ever play five sets. And, um, yeah, we won it. So very special. Wow, four-hour slugfest and nerves of steel from Courtney. Yeah, guy came in clutch. You've obviously just chatted a bit about some of your fondest memories. Um, earlier, we chatted about your victory this year in Australia. I want to discuss with you just after sort of February 2020 and, and what the year has been like for you this year. And I believe you've spent some time in Brazil. I, I just wanted to ask what 2020 has been like for you on and off the court. 2020 has been a strange year, I think, for the obvious reasons of the pandemic. I was playing the best tennis of my life in January, February, and March. Came back home to Harare. Obviously, did our time in lockdown and then, you know, kept active, started practicing again. Yeah, it was very difficult. I had to travel to faraway places in Europe, play on red clay. There was only one tournament at a time, so you're traveling a lot, spending a lot of money, always having to get COVID tests to travel. Oh, and, that's probably yeah, the, worst, inside the worst of it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. And then inside the tournaments, being tested twice a week, staying in a bubble, limited practice hours, limited movement, um, no access to gyms. So obviously grateful that I could play uh, some tournaments, but completely different to what the tour was. But yeah, it's the reality that the world is in right now. And yeah, at the end of the year, I ended up playing two challenger tournaments in Brazil. They were great events, fantastic. South American summertime, uh, their COVID policies are pretty open, so they were allowing a 1,000 people in a day to the stadium, so 
that was nice to play in front of fans again. Yeah, I played really good. Obviously, it was on red clay in South America. Against South Americans, it's a tough ask playing in their backyard. But I played some very good tennis. Didn't get the results I wanted, but my game definitely improved. So, yeah, it was great to play some challenger tournaments again. And I'm just hoping for, yeah, a better calendar for 2021. Absolutely. And you, and you said uh, confidence and momentum is key. What does 2021 have in store for you in terms of the schedule and obviously on the court? Yeah, I was actually looking at that the other day in my calendar. The ATP hasn't released their calendar for 2021 officially. We've seen some tentative events that have been scheduled in certain weeks. Um, obviously, everything is up in the air with Australian Open being pushed back by a month. It really changes the calendar. So the tennis season should start end of January. For me, closer to home, there will be two challenger tournaments being played in South Africa, from what I've been told, in February. Obviously, things are changing you know, weekly, even daily with COVID. So yeah, that's the, what I'm planning to play in. One of them would be the SA Open. So looking forward to being back and playing in that tournament again. And then right now, we're scheduled to play against China in March for the Davis Cup but that also could be pushed back. So I think it's difficult. You have to be you know, practicing and ready to play at any time, but also willing to accept that you know, things could be postponed at a moment's notice. So it is quite a challenging time, but the ATP and ITF have promised to put in as many tournaments and playing opportunities as possible. So we should know in the next week or so what the official calendar will look like. Fantastic. Um, I hope... 2021 is a fantastic year for you on on and off the court, Benji. And that brings us to the end of, I guess, the more formal part of the interview. I've just got a a little quick fire set of questions I'd like to ask you before we conclude. So, Benji, I don't want you to give these. I don't want you to give these too much thought. Who is the greatest ever, Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic? Novak Djokovic. (laughs) <laughs> so I've said I only want one word answers. Can you give us a little bit <laughs> a little bit more there? No, that's fine. Um best country you visited on the tennis circuit. It would be France, but the it was, the city was an island of France, uh, Corsica in the Mediterranean right next door to Sardinia. Yeah, it's beautiful. Magnifique. Okay. Singles or doubles? Both. Doubles with my brother is probably the most fun. Otherwise, yeah, I prefer playing singles. Okay. And lastly, Benj, best player you've played against? Daniel Medvedev. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Hopefully you don't have to go through a four-hour slugfest with him in the near future. That would not be fun. No. (laughs) Um, Benji, that's, that's pretty much... The, the end of the interview. I thank you so much for your time. I hope that you can find that rhythm and that form that you had early on in 2020. And I hope the new year brings you lots of success on the Challenger Tour. Thank you so much for your time, man. No, thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I hope 2021 is a good year for, uh, for you and for everyone else as well. So uh, let's hold thumbs and see what the world has in store. Thank you, Benji. Go well. Good luck. Thanks, eh? Cheers.